Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I am joined today by Kristen Gingrich. Thank you so much for being here, also an LCSW and yes. a queen in the mental health space. So thank you so much, Kristen, for chatting. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for what, what we're going to talk about today. I know. I feel like we connected on Instagram just mm-hmm. as, as one does these yep. days sometimes, therapist to therapist. Um, and I just love the things that you share. Tell me about like how you got into becoming a therapist and kind of what you do now. Yeah. So the journey to becoming a therapist is a little wild for me. So I knew I wanted to get into mental health, right? I lost a friend in high school to suicide and it really propelled me into trying to understand why. Um, And it really propelled me that I didn't want anybody else to feel as alone as he did. Um, So it propelled me into mental health. But it was interesting because when I went to college, I decided I wanted to work with sexual assault survivors or working within the military. And I went, I got my bachelor's, all of that, graduated with my bachelor's, but was like, I need to get my master's because if I don't do this, I'm not going back. So I went and I got my master's. And it's funny because being a therapist was never really on the table, was never really an idea that I had. And so then I graduated grad school and I remember being like, I just need a job. Mm -hmm. So I took the first job that was offered to me, which not a great, uh, not a great choice to make. Um, But it was in the moment, I was like, if I, if I just give it six months, it was an outpatient therapy position in a community, in a rural part of Maine, community mental health. And I was like, I'll give it six months. If I hate it in six months, I'm going to be done. Like I'll, I'll look for something else. And it turns out that I loved it. I loved working with severe and persistent mental illness. I loved working in like really kind of generational poverty, generational trauma, um, kind of working with individuals that kind of the world forgot about. And so that's kind of how I got started there. You know, I was in that position for four years Um, and then I then stepped up and I became a supervisor of those clinicians and case managers. I was in that position for three years and I actually just left it back in April, um, to actually move into a new position. And now I work with foster care parents, um, doing clinical support, which is really cool. Okay. So I love that so much. I actually used to work in a similar setting, Mm -hmm. um, back in the day when I first was new in Connecticut and, yeah, it's definitely a different world. And it's some it's something that, like you said, like the world kind of just like forgets about, but it's really, yeah. it's really rewarding work. It is. Um, and now you're working with foster parents. And yeah. so how did you make that transition? Like what happened there that you're like, okay, community <laughs> mental health to foster parents? Yeah, it was just something I just realized that what I was doing wasn't serving me on many, many different levels. Um, I worked an hour from my home. Um, it, I was burning out a lot of, a lot of issues were arising for me. Um, and I decided that I was going to put myself first and I saw this position and I've worked with foster care parents and foster care children, um, you know, throughout my entire working in community mental health. Um, and I just said, you know what, again, I'm going to give it a try. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario in six months, I hate it. And I could go into private practice because yeah. I'm fully licensed and that could be a, a fail safe if I wanted it to be. Um, and luckily so far, I'm loving it. Um, it's very different. And I've had to do a lot of education um, and c- like continuing eds and kind of doing a lot of research. I know I've reached out to you for different resources just so that I can do the best job. Um, 
but it's been, you know, really, really interesting learning a different part of the field. And then, you know, I got the social media on the other side and doing that. Um, so I'm just a busy, a busy little person. I love it so much. So I want to talk about a little bit. What, what do you mainly do like day to day with foster parents? Like how, what is your role? And I know you support them. What does that look like, you know, every day? Yeah. So that, so basically it's what they call clinical support. So I'm not diagnosing, I'm not diving into like the foster parents trauma or anything like that. Like my job is to specifically work with the foster parent. I'm not working with, or adoptive parent. Um, I also work with some of the adoptive parents who have gone through, um, in Maine, it's called DHHS. Um, even if they're closed out, they have the opportunity to come and gain clinical support. Um, but it's basically very, very, what we call in our part of the field, solution focused. I'm focused on today and taking that step to move towards a goal. Um, Basically, I will provide, you know, validation and support um, of current situations. I might help provide like behavioral interventions or education. Trauma education is the biggest piece and attachment education. Um, I may talk, I may help talk with them around different skills to help navigate DHHS and their relationship with their caseworker or maybe how court processings go um, and things like that. So I'm very much this third party. I'm a voluntary service. There's no mandating. Um, if they mm. want to do it, they want to do it. If they don't, they don't. Um, okay. Short-term, long-term, whatever that is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely very different than what I'm used to as far as like pace. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering too, like, what are some of the things that you are working on? What do foster parents come to you if they choose to utilize your support? What kind of things are they like, oh my gosh, Kristen, like I need help with this. Yeah. Most commonly, and if anybody's listening and is a foster parent, it communication with DHHS is probably the most common um, that, that we're seeing um, and how to navigate that because the biggest thing with communication with another human being is no one can force them to communicate back with you. But what we can do is set it up that we are communicating clear, concisely, setting our setting our expectations for them, setting our boundaries, our limits, things like that, um, where we need to in a way that is helpful to that relationship. Um, because so quickly, right, we can get really angry um, at broken systems, systems that are not working in our favor, anything like that. But how do I maintain basically my sanity? How yeah. do I maintain my decision-making in those processes um, while also still advocating for my needs, even if I'm waiting on someone else? And that waiting could be like, I sent a text and I don't hear back from them for five days. Um, yeah. And so I really kind of work on basically like what is within your control and and discussing like a lot of times you know people don't realize the rights that they have or the ability to maybe go over their caseworker's head if they've been trying to reach them for weeks at a time or like you know this could actually actually go to the guardian at litem um okay. if you have those in your state they might be a term somewhere else i don't know if that's a universal term that is like the lawyer or person appointed for the rights of the children um mm -hmm. Like, actually, that's something you should bring up to them. And that's another piece of my job is like, where does this information go to? Like, who should you point this to? Um, and, and again, navigating the reunification process um, yeah. and being that support during that, because the goal of foster care is reunification. And for some families, that is really hard, especially 
when you've had kiddos who've been in placement for a very long time and you have made that decision to adopt. Um, mm-hmm. if, if we're, if you were given the opportunity and when it starts to get a little messy there and navigating boundaries and ex- and all of that. Mm-hmm. There are so many messy, like it's such a wild, weird world. Foster mm-hmm. care. There's so many, there's so much gray area and so much nuance and so much that's just like uncharted waters for, I mean, for myself, I can speak for myself. When I was a foster mom, I'm like, I don't know what any of this is. Like I would yeah. love to have had someone be like, Hey, let's talk about what you could say back when you haven't Mm -hmm. heard back from this person. And I'm like, I'm a therapist and I still didn't know. I was just like, I need help too. I need support. This is really tricky. Yeah. Or even just having someone validate your concerns and being like, yeah, I texted them. I haven't heard back. You know what? That is a really long time. Um, And even just having that encouragement, sometimes it's even important just to have the encouragement of like, you should reach out again. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times families, you know, are so scared of nagging or so scared of being the problem foster family when the reality is, is like, you know what? You shouldn't have to wait a week to just even get a response that they have received your message. And again, we all know that um, case caseworkers are overworked, understaffed. Um... <laughs> it's so true. It is seriously so true. Oh, it's like, I, I was laughing when you were saying some of that because I was seriously like, honestly, like I was afraid of being the problem foster mom. Like I was like, I wanted to do it perfectly. I wanted mm-hmm. to do it so well. I thought, especially because I was a therapist, like a social worker, I was like, I got like, I want to do this the right way. And I mean, mm. but we have to let that kind of go when we yep. get into this process. Exactly. And, and again, like, and sometimes it's so like, Foster parenting can be so isolating, especially if you do not have connections with other foster families because you feel like, oh, maybe I'm the only one. And like, it's one of those things that, I, that I've joked with several people and I'm like, I wish I could connect you all because like, that would be great. And like, there are definitely some support groups out there. Different areas have different. I know Maine has specific like in-person and virtual specifically for Maine. Um, but I'm always, and I always tell families like even- there are few and far between, but sometimes there might be a good Facebook group. Good is in quotations. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, But even sometimes like just knowing like you're not alone in the way that you're feeling or your frustrations, Um, because a lot of times, you know, we feel that way or we feel I'm not good enough. Like I'm not doing this enough. And this is why this is happening. Like I'm not a good enough foster parent. I'm not a good enough whatever. And again, that plays on how we view ourselves. 100%. I actually have like foster mamas in my group coaching program who are like, I like, they struggle a lot with like adoption guilt. Like, like I got into mm. foster care to support reunification, but the kids in my care needed permanency through adoption. And now I feel like I failed as a foster mom. And I'm like, <gasps> like, there's so many emotions that we need to talk through, but it's like nothing that anyone else would understand who wasn't in <laughs> in the role yeah. of foster care. So exactly. Cool we can get support like from you to be able to point them to those resources. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I just get to be that, like, I it's even how I see therapy. Like I just get to be this third party. Like I, I use this phrase, like I got no dice in your life. Like mm-hmm. the choices you make do not affect me in any capacity. And I get to be this third party, like watching from the outside and get to see everything from all angles to bring it all to the table and talk about it. And so that's something that's really, really nice about me 
and coming into this is like, I always tell my family is like, and I've always told my clients, like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to be mean and I'm not going to be rude or unkind, but I'm also going to sit there and say, yeah, yeah, actually you're at at fault here. Actually, Mm -hmm. your behaviors are doing this, this, and this in this circle, whether they're positive or negative or not helpful or helpful. Um, And that's what's really nice about me is like, I'm, I'm able to come in and see it from all sides, whereas sometimes your family members might not be, right? Your family members might be looking at your foster care journey and being like, yeah, I can't wait till you adopt them. And again, like you're sitting there like a part of you is like me too, because this is what I also want, but also that's not helpful in this capacity over here because I also support reunification and I want this to happen. And that's another, like you said, the adoption guilt of working with these, these families and normalizing that it's also okay to want these kids long-term and finding that balance. Like just because you say like, if reunification doesn't happen, I would like to move forward at adoption doesn't mean that you don't care about reunification. Exactly. That yeah. you can, it, that it's the term that we use in our part of the field called a dialectic, right? It doesn't yeah. have to be either or, it can be both and. Um, yeah. And it's just making sure that your willingness to adopt these children are is not impacting your engagement in the reunification process. I love that. That's like the, that's it right there. Like that's what it is. It's like, and and both can be equally, like you can hold both things Mm -hmm. equally, you know, at the same time. However, obviously the first, first goal of foster care is reunification. And I think it's so important. One of the things that I realized on my foster care journey, and I'll be honest, I didn't realize it right away. It took me like quite a bit into our first, you know, my, my son's placement with us to be able to see that, um, that the best thing for my kids is whole health and wholeness for their parents, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And I really, that was just, that really changed everything for me. Cause I was like, I was never rooting against bio mom. I always wanted the best for her. I always was hoping she would be able to, you know, have the kids yeah. at some point, um, or at least a relationship with them. But when I really realized like, wow, no, no, we all win. If, if I can support her in any yeah. way that I can, it really was a huge perspective shift. So just mm-hmm. even for you to be able to come alongside foster families and say that is probably like huge and eye-opening for a lot of them. Yeah. And and again, just being able to hold space for all of that messy gray area. I think yeah. sometimes, again, we, I mean, even in general life, take foster care out of it. None of us like sitting in the middle of things. We yeah. truly do like things black and white. And when we sit in that gray, when we stick, when we sit in those sticky, uncomfortable feelings, shame, guilt, fear, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. They don't feel uncomfortable and we want to fix them and go away when the yeah. reality is that it's okay to feel both of those and not feel shame about it and not feel guilty because they're just experiences. The reality just comes back of how are we managing it all? Mm-hmm. And I think you do such a good job of that in your on your Instagram and in your online space, in your podcast. Like I feel like you talk a lot about wanting to normalize the emotional experience of that we all have as human beings and really kind of Mm -hmm. leveling the playing field back down to like, look, everything we experience, like we're, we're having these responses to it and we're coping in the ways that we best know how in the moment and how we knew how as a child. And I just love how you've been vulnerable too and sharing like your own path to healing. And I think Mm -hmm. as a therapist, who's also sharing on social media, I'm like, 
can we please have more therapists show up? Like Kristen is showing up and just being honest. So why did you decide to be so vulnerable on social media about your journey? Yeah. So, you know, I got, so I got started on social media, like many, many TikTokers. That's where, that's where I started Uh was March, 2020 was bored during lockdown, downloaded the app. And, you know, I, I saw another therapist kind of creating content and I was like, oh, that seems pretty cool. I could do that. And it kind of has taken off since then. And, um, I've always been a person who self-discloses in session where appropriate and as appropriate, um, because there is inappropriate ways to self-disclose. Absolutely. Because there's this mindset that like as therapists, we need to be blank slates. And I don't agree with that. I think that as therapists, we are human. As mental health providers, we are human. And sometimes we need to show our humanness for our clients to connect with us. Um, Because I can't, I can't even list the amount of times clients will look at me and they would say, you don't understand. You have such a great life. And I said, you know what? Right now, maybe I do but I didn't come from a great life. I mm. came from trauma. I came from divorce. I came from a, a single dad trying to raise his two kids. I came from a to- like toxic mom. I struggle with mental illness. Um, some I struggle with suicidal thoughts. I struggle with all of those things. Yes, me and you are different, but the only difference, and I one of my favorite phrases that I would use with clients is the only difference between me and you is where we're sitting in our seats right now. I love that. And- And, and it's hard because, and like, I started this process of doing social media and I would say like, it definitely did not start off vulnerable. Um, it definitely started off really education based. And then eventually I was like, I want to be me like this, this feels very curated and I do not, um, I don't do curated. I mean, all social media is curated. Even if you say you're vulnerable, it's curated. Yeah. Because I do think that I personally believe that not everything needs to be on social media, that you do need to keep spaces for yourself. There are lots of things I don't talk about on social media because I want to protect myself and I want to protect my, my like space. Mm -hmm. And so, but I also realized like, again, like going back, like people thought therapists were on pedestals, right? God forbid a therapist struggles with her, with her mental health. God, she can't Mm -hmm. do her job. The amount of times that I've heard that, I'm like, would you blame an oncologist for getting cancer? No, you wouldn't. I say the same thing. That's so funny. <laughs> and so, you know, really looking at that, I mean, and again, talking about my journey, what couple of the big pieces that I talk about is my own mental health. Um, I struggled a very long time with PTSD. I struggled a very long time with anxiety and depression. I recently went through a pretty intensive treatment for my depression that I would say is 70% alleviated at this point, which is really great. Mm, I'm 31, almost 32 now. I've been in therapy since I was 18 on and off. Mm. Um, So I talk a lot about my own mental health journey, but I also talk um, a lot about going no contact with my mother. I do not speak to my mother. Uh, we do not have a relationship. We have a, when we did have a relationship, it was very toxic. Um, and that's really validating for a lot of people. Um, I make, you know, relatable therapy, funny content. I actually was just working on a video prior to this about like, you know, getting tattoos. Yes. Getting piercings. Yes. And like, they're all painful, but like, I'm going to do them, but sitting in my feelings. Absolutely not. (laughs) But like, that's, you know, and I, you know, I talk about motherhood. I am a mother to a five-year-old little boy who has autism. Um, 
And so, you know, I also make motherhood content and parent content that also normalizes like this shit is hard. Oh, amen. Yep. Like this is not a walk in the park and especially trying to parent parent while healing or parenting. Mm. If you do have a mental illness, um, Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about like, you know, healing my own inner child by being a mother. And I'm not saying that if you have a, a, a hurt inner child that you should become a mother and that's going to heal that in no way. Am I saying that it, for me, I became a mother and it, you know, opened my eyes to a lot of things and has been really healing for me. Um, and so I talk a lot about that too. That's amazing. I think that's so, I mean, it's just so refreshing because you don't often see it. There's, I mean, I have had the experience. I know a lot of people to have where on social media, when you start to be vulnerable, sometimes you open yourself up to, you know, the trolls, if you will, <laughs> the people who will say what they say, but it's just like, it's, I'm so thankful yeah. because mm-hmm. it, we benefit so much from vulnerability. We benefit so much from, you know, people like yourself leading by example and showing like, look, this, there's nothing like I'm a normal person. I'm a, yes, I'm a therapist, but I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. that's not, that's one thing about me. And these yeah. are the things that are all, like, they all make up who I am. Yeah. My favorite thing is the block button. Queen. If anybody comes onto my page and makes me question my worth, feel bad about myself, question my, you know, existence. And I'm not saying like they make you question like, oh, that's a different point of view to consider. Right. But like they're coming in and like you, like, bro, you could have just scrolled right on past. Uh-huh. But you decided to block. Yeah. The, the, um, the block list that I have, I could probably scroll for an hour on because I just, I don't. Like, I understand that I'm putting content out to the mass public. Right. But I also have some power. Yeah. And and if I usually, if I see a video and it suddenly, like, ended up on the wrong side of TikTok, it tends to end up on the wrong side of Facebook more often. Oh, yeah. The wasteland that is Facebook. It really um, is. I'll tend to turn off comments if I need to. But it's definitely, like, you know... I have very much learned that someone's going to have an opinion of you and it doesn't matter if you are sweet as pie yeah. or the devil, mm-hmm. they are going to figure out an opinion of you. And that's just it. But these mm-hmm. people are strangers and I've really worked at just being comfortable with who I am in my own story. And again, yeah. I don't put things out there that I am not prepared to receive kickback on. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of things that are very personal to me. I've never spoken about online yeah. because I do not want to deal with the repercussion of those things because yeah. I'm either not in a space to handle the discourse around it, or I am not in a space where, you know, I, that I care about what your opinion is. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to put it out there. Yeah. I love that. I think it's so good. It's also to me, I'm like, it's a boundary that I'm setting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, if I just had this like boundaryless existence in my personal life or my professional life or online, that is not healthy and it's not helpful mm-hmm. to other people yes. either. Cause then people don't feel safe in that space and I don't feel safe. So I love yeah. that. I love that, yeah. that you also share that opinion. Well, you share a ton of amazing information about mental health, about your own journey online. And I would love for people to be able to connect with you more um, and just follow your content because it's so good. It's so, every, I always laugh, especially as a therapist. I'm like, this is so good. Like, like but it's also, like, I learned from it too. Like, it's really, really helpful. So where can mm. people find you online? Yeah, you can find me basically on any platform. 
Um, not your average therapist, T-H-R-P-S-T. We're missing the vowels. Um, but you can find me on most platforms. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Threads, X, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest. I just started. Like I'm on every. So if if there is a social media, I'm most likely on it. Um, but yeah, no, you can find me on there. I love that so much. And you also have a podcast, right? I do. I am a co-host of a wonderful podcast called Welcome to Group Therapy. Um, I host with three of my therapist besties. And Mm -hmm. basically, like, all of our topics are picked by our followers. We do questions. We do polls. And the whole part is to make our followers feel like they're a part of our podcast. We just did an amazing episode on suicide. We just released our latest episode that is, you know, on... um, mental health and therapist in media. And so we're always doing a range of topics. It's fun. It's educational. It's a little bit chaotic, but we're here for it. <laughs> yes. I love that so much. We'll definitely be sure to link up all those things so people can find you and connect with you. And thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with us today. It has been just a breath of fresh air as I knew that it would be. So we really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me.